Ladies and gentlemen, this is Killing the Business Wrestling Podcast. Today I come to you very humble. This isn't about myself or the podcast today. It is about my guest this evening. He was with ECW before it was extreme. Former ECW television and World Tag Team Champion, among many other championships in his long resume. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Gary Wolf, Pitbull number one. How you doing, today, sir? Good. Very good to be here, man. What's happening, man? Not much. Do you prefer okay. Gary Wolf or Pitbull one? Whatever you want to call it, whatever comfortable for you. Okay. All right, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So how would you describe your career using one word? My career? Your career. Wow. wow. <laughs> Why is that? Wow. Because I would have never done or went the places I was at and where I was and things I did and just, you know what I mean? Like if I didn't get into the business and then get tight with a couple of people, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I met Kevin Sullivan very young. I just started wrestling. You know, I walked right up to him in Daytona. I was on spring break, you know, working out, man. We were down there with like four or five guys, you know, just a party and shit. Young, I wasn't even like maybe 20, 21, not even. Mm -hmm. And I introduced myself to him. And next thing I know, at the end of the workout, he came up to me and said, Come to my place. You know, I was just like, What? He's like, Yeah, I live in the only tower on the beach in Daytona. He was true, it was right. He was the only one. He was on the top floor. And I went there and uh, had dinner. Him and Nancy were there. And it was cool, man, because he really took a liking to me and then he met my partner later and then he introduced us to like uh king curtis don morocco and we were already tight with the samoans because we were when we started working independence you know when we got out of wrestling school i mean we were wrestling with Samoans most of the time Sita, you know on indie shows so how do, so tell us about your first match oh wow First match? Your first professional wrestling match. It was probably hard. It was horrible. And what was good about it was we were at, uh, it was at Camden, New Jersey. I don't know if anybody knows that, but where that place is. But uh, Terry Funk was, was on at main event against Stan Hansen. I mean, they ended up in the river suplexing each other. And shit, it was awesome, man. So Larry at the time was managing me and Anthony. And we were young, you know, but he liked our gimmick and he was going to manage us. That's how it was. He did the same thing with Bigelow. He did the same thing with all the guys from EC that came out of the Monster Factory. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, even the Big Bear, you know, who was Kamala and Papa Shango and the Godfather, he managed him in Japan too. But uh, yeah, he managed us. And I remember, you know, being in the same locker room with Terry Funk and Stan Hansen. And we were fucking kids. Like, we were green as grass. I remember, man, we were just sitting there listening to them talk, keeping our mouths shut, you know, just observing, you know what I mean? And then we, you know, of course, we introduced ourselves and all that shit. But next thing you know, you know, we're shooting the shit and they're getting all fired up, them too, because they're, they're their main event and they're getting, you know, warmed up. And Terry Funk is crazy, you know. First time I met him. Uh, I asked him, I see, he's like, when are you guys wrestling? And I'm like, uh, we're up, I think, two matches before you are. And he's like, okay. I said, you mind watching it and letting us know what you think? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, kid, yeah, sure, I will. And Stan just looked at us and smirked like. So we went out there, had a match. It was horrible. It was horrible. Timing sucked. Everything sucked. You know, we were green. But uh, it, it was another day in the ring working against two other guys that we never worked before. You know what I mean? So he came back in and they were, they were laughing at us. Man. And uh, he said, yeah, that sucks, but you're still green. You know what I mean? He goes, now watch this match. Watch the psychology in this match. And him, so Terry Funk and Stan Hansen destroyed, tore the place down, man. Because they took it in the river, in the water. With vertical suplexes. It was like Paradise Alley all over again, man. Wrestling was awesome. 
And when they came in, me and my partner were just looking at each other like, oh my God, that's entertainment there. Like, that was fucking amazing. And I even told them when they came in, I said, unbelievable. So thank you so much, because I learned so much just from hanging out with you today and watching what you did. I learned. How did you meet uh, Anthony or Pitbull number two? We went to the same school together, same high school. He was in my grade. We graduated in 1985. Uh, we were in wrestling school by 88. We were in Japan between 90 and 91. That quick. So we went to work for, when we got, put it this way, when Vince looked at us and, went, and was interested in us and wanted to do something with, with us, uh, he got us a job right away down in uh, South Carolina. North Carolina for Paul Jones and George Scott. So that was called South Atlantic Pro Wrestling. So we were working six nights a week. So we were on the road Monday through Saturday. We were wrestling every night. But you're on the road, you know, with professionals, man. It was like, okay, I'm, I'm with like, you know, sometimes Ricky Steamboat would show up, Ric Flair would show up. Uh, you got to remember Paul Jones and George Scott, they made NWA. You know what I'm saying? They started it. So uh, when WCW was in town, sometimes some of their guys would even come over. At the time, it was NWA. It wasn't even WCW then. It was NWA. I wanted to go work for them. I used to ask Magnum PI all the time, man. I'm like, man, can you give us it? Well, I want to work for you. You know, can we work for you? We're ready. You know, we're almost there. And he would look at us and say, you're too young. You're too young. You know, it's not that you're not big enough yet because you guys have size you know for guys that are that, that young you guys been working out a while so because you're not fucking around like most other people at the time everybody at the time was lifting weights then you know what i mean so i had to jump on we were we were already in the gym anyway i was already working out i i had my own business and i was training just to bodybuild really i wasn't looking to be a wrestler or nothing that happened by accident you know you know for us to do that we fell in it by accident. How did you fall in it by accident? You just kind uh, of saw it? Well, no, we were in Wildwood, New Jersey. And uh, they, WWE would go there and they would actually film their show there at the convention center on the boardwalk. So they, they get people to come off the boardwalk and fill the building up, you know? So we were training at the gym and at the gym, they were in charge of security for Vince. So they hired a couple guys from the gym. Me and my partner were from the gym. So they were like, yo, why don't you, why don't you work this event? Andy Bernowski was with us, who is now in Hollywood as Leatherface. Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The big guy. He was with us. Uh, Crybaby Waldo, who passed away, he was also with us. But he wasn't even a worker yet either. So we snuck in the building on Monday, Monday afternoon. They were coming in Monday night to do Raw. I think it was or something like that they were calling it back then. Uh, we got in the ring, man. We were just fucking around with each other. We didn't know what the fuck we were doing. We didn't even know how to take a bump or nothing like that. And Dick Worley was sitting in the fucking bleachers watching. Because he's like, what are you guys doing in here? And we're like, we're security. And he's like, oh, okay. He's like, all right, go ahead. Fucking around, around the ring if you want. But if you get hurt, it's not my fucking fault. You know what I mean? We're like, all right. We're like, let's try it out. Because the British Bulldogs were there. You know, all the WWF guys were there. So we were like, man, cool. We can meet these guys and see how, you know, look, they're in shape. I said, fuck, man. Maybe we can make more money doing this than bodybuilding. I'm thinking, you know what I'm saying? Fuck. So next thing you know, I was bumping around. Next thing, But after that, dude, I was so hurt. I was hurt for two weeks. Dying for two weeks. And Dick Worley looked at Andy Bernowski because he was real tall, blonde, long blonde hair, built like a brick shit house. And uh, he looked at him and said he'd be another Hulk Hogan right to his face. But he even said, fuck that, man. I mean, honest to God, I said, there's no fucking way. It's too rough. My body was destroyed because I didn't know how to take a bump. So whatever I did was wrong. And I was crippled for two weeks. Later on, that summer, I finished my business on the boardwalk, and then I was coming home for the winter, and Anthony's like, you know what, man, I was thinking about it. 
we live in New Jersey and there's a really good professional wrestling school there called the Monster Factory out of Paulsboro, New Jersey. It's not far from me where, where we were growing up and living. He's like, why don't we, uh, you know, check it out, you know, and see how it is. You know, so I was like, well, I don't know, man. I said, that was pretty rough. And he was like, yeah, but fuck it, we'll go to school. At least we'll learn. I said, okay. I said, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go find, let's find out how much. So we found out how much it was. Uh, I had to make some, a couple of dollars first. Uh, he ended up getting the money. He actually started a month ahead of me. And then I got the cash together. And then I went and seen Larry. I talked to Larry. And uh, he was like, oh, okay. So you two are both signing up together. I said, yeah. He's like, okay. All right, you guys, uh, we did our tryout. We passed the tryout. You know what I mean? So he took us, you know? So I only gave him, I think I gave him $1,000 down and then I paid him the rest as we went on. That's how we did it. And he let us do that. He was cool like that. It was $3,000 to join the wrestlers. That's that. Jeez, man, what is it today? Like five grand, six grand? I don't know. I never, I mean, when, even when I had opened my own school later on, I always charged the same three grand. I don't know what it is now. It might be like five now, but they're, the schools are helping you a little bit more, especially if you're good enough. You know what I mean? Like the Monster Factor is kicking out some talent. I'll give you an example. Uh, for ben, from WWF, you got uh, Damian Priest. He came out of the factory. Riddle came out of the factory. You know, I remember Priest wanted to quit. Back in the day, he was like, man, I'm giving this up. I'm like, dude, you're fucking, look, look how tall you are. You're 6'4", 6'5". I said, you got a good gimmick. I said, just, you know, keep, just keep doing what you're doing, man. I said, you're still young. I mean, he wasn't even in his 30s yet. You know, he was still in his 20s. And he was already ready to give up. I'm like, just relax, man. And look where he's at now. He's got a strap. You know, so does fucking Riddle. So, you know, and that's just two of them. I mean, the Headbangers came out of the fucking factory. Bam Bam Bigelow came out of the factory. Raven came out of the factory. Tonka uh, came out of the factory. I could go on forever, bro. So it's a, it's a legit school, and that's where I would do it. If I was a, if I was a fan out there looking to learn how to work and you know, got to find a good school. Very important. I remember back in the, um, I don't want to say old days, but I remember you used to have a couple of matches with Vince McMahon at WWF as a jobber, but you still had a couple of matches. Can you tell us how did you get it, get that gig? They called up Larry Sharp and said, what do you, how, you know, what kind of guys you got over there? Number one, we want to look at them. And number two, they could come up here and get some experience. We're going to pay them. And I was like, fuck yeah. Who wouldn't? Dude, I was in a locker room, man, with fucking Rowdy Rowdy Pipe. Okay, right across the way from me. Okay. I'm in, I, I got a board. My name's on the fucking board, man. Going against Ted DiBiase. Going against Rougeau Brothers. The Brain Busters. The Powers of Pain. The Heart Foundation. Shit, that's when we got, up, got over. We worked the Heart Foundation Gorilla Monsoon whispered in Vince's ear, like, yo, see them two fucking kids? We're going to hire them. That's what he said. He's a Jersey guy. Like, we were from New Jersey. He's a Cherry Hill. He's 30 minutes away from us. He's he, he seen us, and he's seen, he seen what we had. You know what I mean? We looked in shape. We looked just, I mean, we went in 1989. We flew to New Zealand and wrestled the British Bulldogs in front of 55,000 people. They went as the British Bulldogs. We went as the American Pit Bulls. So we went in as heels. And we slammed it because that's, a, you know, the queen of that, that country. You know what I mean? So we went there tearing shit up, man. It was awesome. I mean, to work against them guys. And like at first, you know, they were like, fuck you. You know what I mean? We had to prove ourselves. You know, they did they said straight up, Larry Sharp went across the way to get the finish, came back with his head down and said, uh, they said they're going to call the finish out there. You know, so I guess they want to see if we're going to go out. So me and my partner looked at each other and said, okay, you know, obviously this is a test. 
you know, Don Morocco booked us on the show. He helped us, you know, like we had the name already, but he made the names better. Like he said, you guys have to have names. So I'm going to call you Psychotic Spike. So I was called Psychotic Spike and my partner was Rabid Rex. And they called us the American people. And that's, that's where our names were. And Don Morocco gave us those names. Wow. I didn't know that. That's interesting. A lot of people don't, a lot of people don't know shit, man. A lot of people have no idea, like, you know, when they thought we were like maybe doing independent shows somewhere. No, we were over in New Zealand wrestling the British Bulldogs for two weeks mm-hmm. and then we'd fly home. And then next night you fly back to fucking New Zealand for another two weeks against the Guerrero brothers. So I'm working against Eddie Guerrero's dad and Ray Mysterio's dad. Okay, that's who I'm working with, me and my partner. That's where we're getting experience from. So when people say, oh, man, you guys, you're underrated tag team. I tell you these guys to kiss my ass because you don't know shit. You don't know who I've been in the ring with. A lot of people have no clue that we were in New Zealand with those guys. You know, with Hondo and Mondo and all them guys, man. Those guys taught us so much. I mean, go on the road for two weeks with the British Bulldogs and tell me you're not going to learn something. You know? Veterans. I learned a lot, man. It was awesome. It was great experience. So when we got an opportunity to go do jobs at Vince, I'm like, hell yeah. You know, back then they're giving us $150 in money, cash, paying for our hotel, giving us uh, trans money for driving up there. We didn't care. We were, we were getting experience. I'm not going to go there and work for Vince McMahon as a jobber. That's why we used our real name. You know, you know, we went in as Anthony Durani and Gary Wolf. And that's our names. You know, we didn't say the pit bulls. Only in 1998 we showed up as the pit bulls there, and that was against the headbangers. So, how did the relationship with Eastern Championship Wrestling come about? I was there when it was Tri-State Wrestling Alliance. Oh, he's before. Yeah, when Todd Gordon and uh, Joel Ger- Goodhart actually owned it, they were the ones in charge of it. I mean, it was called Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, bro. They were bringing in guys like, they were bringing in Ric Flair, Abdul the Butcher, you know, Buddy Landell. I mean, all these guys, man, like good guys, you know, and we're like, me and Anthony were over. I mean, the first match that we did on the one big show I remember I was at, it was an all-weapons match. And it was kind of when ECW was kind of just, like, it was around the corner. Like, it hasn't been made yet, but, you know what I mean? It was like people were thinking about it. Because we, we started doing, they wanted us to do a lot of hardcore matches. So we were doing hardcore matches with all these other guys. And, you know, the booker was like, you know, you guys, the pit bulls are over. So we, me and my partner would end up being the last two guys in and either me or him would flip and just walk out the ring on our own and give it to our guys. And, you know, one of us would take the, the gimmick and we'd get over. That particular night, I remember we were done, went in the locker room, took a shower, got dressed. Next thing you know, Ric Flair's there. Never met him before yet. I'm still green as grass. I mean, I'm getting a $15 check <laughs> back then. You know what I'm saying? So... Nice. You know, I remember I, Abby was putting a blade on every finger. This is the first time I met Abby. Didn't even see him before my whole life. And he's putting all these blades on his finger, and Flair's there, and he's getting dressed and warming up. And they all both have all these this jewelry, like these big watches, solid gold watches and diamond rings, and probably about five hundred grand worth of jewelry. I would say at least between the two of them. And he's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, you the pit bulls? I go, yeah. He's like, man, I heard you. Because Cowboy Bob Wharton would come down sometimes to the factory and see us. The Samoans would always talk about us because you would work with them a lot. Like if they were on a show and the promoter told, asked them, you know, Afra Sika, who do you want to work? They will say the pit bulls back then. You know, because we were, we were comfortable working with each other. You know, they trusted us and we were learning from them kidding me i'm not going to turn down that experience you know no yeah man so yeah so eventually uh like i was saying vince got us a job you know he larry you know pulled us in the office and said uh you guys want to go to north carolina you can go to north carolina you can go to 
Portland, I guess Ohio Valley or, you know what I mean? All these other places. I'm like, you know what? Charlotte sounds fucking nice to me. I said it was eight hour drive straight at the time. You know, we didn't have no fucking Garmin or computer telling me where to go. I had to pull out a damn map. <laughs> and we count every fucking hundred miles, man, by inch, man. I mean, those old days, I remember those days, the maps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these kids today have no clue. Like what, they, what we had to go through sometimes to get to places and find a building and then shit, make it, make it, make it alive out of the building. <laughs> you know, especially when we were heels sometimes. We went there as baby faces, and then they turned us heel, you know, and we were begging them because they didn't want us to be baby. They didn't want us to be heels. They wanted us to be baby faces. And we were just like, man, we suck. I told them, I said, look, I can't even cut a fucking baby face promo yet. I'm still learning. I said, but I could cut, I'm a natural heel. And we'd always say no, George Scott, you know. Because, you know, film costs money, you know, and we, we were on set television every weekend down south. So it was okay, you know what I mean? So even though NWA was down there, we were on television too. So it was pretty cool, you know. So we were hoping we would get picked by them, but Japan came instead, you know. And when New, when New Japan came, that's when we were like, oh, wow, okay. You know. You know, Tokyo Joe came and seen us, talked to us, said, change your, change, change some stuff around. You know what I mean? So gave us some good, and I didn't realize at the time, like, I didn't realize he was a very influence, influential person in the business, but he taught people how to work. I thought he was just an agent. Come to find out, I, I, I run into a couple of old, you know, a couple of guys that said, no shit, Tokyo Joe got you in. I said, yeah, he goes, he trained me. And I'm like, no fucking way. And I didn't realize he trained people too. At, you know, at that point, I didn't know. I never asked him. You know, he 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 just said he worked for New Japan and he wants to bring us in. And I was like, hell yeah, you know. And then when it was time to go to Vince, I said, can you match the price? If you can match the same. If you give me the same deal that they're giving us, we're gonna go. I'll walk over to you. And I think that pissed him off, you know, because he he was interested in us. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, but I had to go in New Japan because I figured I want to be in Japan anyway eventually. I might as well, if I can get the chance now and go, I'll go. You know, and then I'll come back and maybe I'll be worth more money that way. You know, that's how I looked at it. So we did it and we didn't, they didn't, even, they didn't really call us the pit bulls until we were in FMW. New Japan was calling us the mad bull busters, they were calling us. So, you know, because they, they want to own everything. They want to own all your shit. You know what I mean? That's how they are. So I feel like that you'd rather be a heel in the ring than a baby face. He agrees. <laughs> he agrees. Yeah. Uh, at the time when I was, at, like I said, when we were younger and we were just breaking in the business, yeah, we'd rather be heels. We were, it was easier for us. I could go either way now. It's no big deal. But back in the day, it was totally different. We were young and we were still very, very green. We started at 88. Remember, we had our job by 89.90. We were already working for South Atlantic. So Vince already saw us. You know, we, we were in the locker rooms with all the guys. I mean, I, mean, I met Hulk Hogan. I met the Warrior, uh, Bruce Beefcake, and Greg Valentine, who I became very good friends with later on you know what I'm saying being on the road with them you know one time I was in Germany for two weeks me and my partner and that's all we were doing was touring all over Germany and I mean we were actually following the Samoans were bringing us everywhere to be honest with you I mean shit I was in Korea I, I, I was everywhere with those guys Germany Europe UK shit man I mean one time I was with it was me and Anthony against Jimmy Snook and Brutus Beefcake and this was after Brutus just got his face back put together when he yeah, got injured in Florida on the beach because I remember he's like man please guys because we were the first night there we were in the hotel room hanging out partying and shit he's like please whatever you do guys you cannot touch my face so don't punch me in the face please you know what I mean I said bro no problem and that's why like I said 
that's why we would get them gigs because like Jimmy through the Samoans would say, get the pit bulls to come and work with you two guys. We're having two weeks off, you know, and then we're, we're going to learn. So, you know, we're getting paid good money and we're learning from the best guys have been in the business forever. Shit, man. Jimmy Snooker became Uncle Jimmy later. You know, Vader became Pops later. You know, that's how our business is. I mean, it's how it was anyway. In your ECW career, which manager do you prefer being with? Jason or Francine? Uh, we were with... Uh, well, since you mentioned them too, uh, we had a lot of managers, guys. I mean, we've had managers from Luna Vashon was managing us at that young uh, TWA days. Then it turned into Eastern Championship Wrestling. Then when Paul Heyman got it later on, like you see in a part, when it turned into Eastern, we were still there, but then we disappeared and we went to Japan. We started doing that kind of stuff. And then later on, you know, I was home. I, I had it hurt my knee, so I had to get surgery. And I was rehabbing my knee. And I, I just said, screw it, you know. I went I went back to my hometown where I grew up. And I said, I'll, re- I'll do it there. And I'll ride a bike to the gym every day, whatever it takes. You know, I'll get it done. So in the meantime, I'm home. And the next thing I know, I see the fucking television show. And it says Eastern Championship Wrestling. And I'm like, fuck, they're Sandman who I met that day when I met Ric Flair that day, uh, he was in the audience. He wasn't even a wrestler yet. You know, he wanted to, to get in the business. And I told Sam, man, I said, listen, what's your name? He's like, Hack. I said, all right, Hack, call, get in touch with Joel Goodhart at the time, I said. You know what I mean? I said, he's the one that owns this company. He has a school. So go there, you know. No, I'm not thinking he was going to even do it. You know what I'm saying? Next thing I know, he's, he's on TV. I'm like, shit, the motherfucker did do it, you know? So I was already knew him and I was already tight with Todd Gordon. So I just called them up on the phone. I said, dude, they go, where you at? I said, I'm home, man. I said, I'm healed up. I've been home for like eight months. I'm all better. I said, I'm ready to rock. I said, they're like, where's Anthony? I said, he's in Germany. I said, but when he's done, he's, when he's done his gimmick, he'll be back. And then, you know, I said, I want to start work again with you guys. And they were like, no problem, come down. So I came down. I got there on a Saturday night, got dressed, put me in the ring with, I don't know, I don't remember who, but uh, it was Don Morocco or somebody like that, or a lot of the older guys were there. Warren Anderson was there at the time. They were bringing in a lot of, like, names, so it was cool. Jimmy Snuka, I know I worked the match against him back in that day. Uh, so I just went with it, and uh, within – I don't know, like three months went by, and he's like, I need you to do me one more favor. Go against Road Warrior Hawk, which is Mike and uh, Hawk. Put him over, and after that, he said, come to New York. I went to New York, cut promos, and he wanted to put the TV belt on. And I was like, cool. At first, I was like, I don't want it. But he said, hold on to it until your partner comes in, and then you'll tag team up. You know what I mean? At least you'll say you had that belt. And, I was, and I was, he was smart about that because I, I'm glad I did do it. You know, I did do it. I did give Mikey Ripwreck. I get dropped it to Mikey Ripwreck and made him. You know what I mean? Nobody knew who Mikey Ripwreck was until I lost the belt to him. So it was cool. You know what I mean? I had no problem with that. I was working an angle with Taz at the same time anyway. Hey, our co-host. Take your volumes off, bro. That might help. She believes in climbing over things, not around them. Oh, so, man. How old? How old? Again, there. She just turned one. Wow. She's, part of, she's part of my IT department. I mean, you're a family, man. You know how it is. It's, you got to roll with the punches. You got to, bro. You have to. My dogs are my kids. Sure enough. <laughs> He's a cute too. Oh, you're just great. you're the reason why I do this podcast. Because yeah. around here, 
over here, it's all about WWE. And I'm trying to extend more than WWE. Yeah. A lot of WWE guys, I mean, I, like I said, a lot of them guys back in the 80s helped me and my partner out big time. It was good meeting them, and it was good, you know what I mean, uh, having them in your ear, you know? I mean, shit. When we worked against Anvil and Bret Hart, I mean, it was awesome. Uh, they kept it real simple. I, I I mean, driving home that weekend, I would scratch. I, the first weekend, I was scratching my head. I was like, that's how you work? Like, I couldn't believe it because I was in the ring with – they put us in the ring in a tag match against the big boss man and Hakeem, African Dream, you know, and they destroyed us, you know what I mean? And But they they were so happy with how everything turned out. I mean, shit, man, the boss man was the one, one of the nicest guy I ever met. I mean, no lie, he beat the hell out of me with a billy club, and I didn't feel a thing. He looked like he destroyed me, and I sold like a motherfucker for him. And that's what he was so happy about. He's like, man, he's like, you made it look so legit. Like, yeah. You know, he grabbed me, man. He was, that's how he was. He was so cool. Great athlete, man. For a guy that size, you know what I mean? And then when Akeem would hit me with a shit, he hit me with a elbow. I totally disappeared. That's how big he is. You know, I just disappeared. But working against the Rougeau brothers was awesome. Those guys, like, we would ask him, you know, what can we do? You know, you're going to give us a little spot, you know, can you, you know, and some guys would say, hell no. And some guys would say, yeah, you know what I mean? Like the Rougeau brothers were like, hell yeah, man, whatever you want to do. We'll have a blast. Let's have fun. You know, the brain busters, they, they were testing us a little bit. They were like, I don't know. You come up with something. Let me see what you come up with, you know, and powers of pain just told Anthony, lift that chin up real high. You don't lift it up high, I'm going to break your nose, break your face. They're like, okay, <laughs> no problem, man. <laughs> you know, and it was insane, insanity back then. I mean, these guys were, it was all, I mean, Vince McMahon wants to, it's totally different. It's like, you look at that now compared to what it was back then, bro, it's apples and oranges, man. They had a rough, like people talk about our locker room being crazy. The locker room was pretty damn crazy back in the day. Right. right. Well, I mean, I've heard stories about the locker room of ECW, about the partying and the drugs that going on. Is was is that any of that true? Or is it like no more than like a regular promotion? It's just people just... It's, we're no different than any other business. I mean, like I said, you, you compare us to the 80s locker room, they got us beat. Because they were making a lot more money than we were. You know what I mean? So they could do a lot more things than what we were doing. But we were, it was crazy. I mean, our locker room was nuts. But we had a lot of freedom in our locker room. You know, we had a lot of freedom with our uh, angles that we're doing, our matches that we're in. Like, we weren't sitting there with a script handed to us and said, do this. You know what I'm saying? We got to actually use the skills that we learned from going to wrestling school and also being on the road in North Carolina six nights a week, being in front of that camera, you know, all the time, at least twice a week doing TV. So that experience, you know, helped us, you know, big time. One of the angles, just two angles that you were a part of that I remember in my high school days. One was, of course, win the tag titles in the chain match, in the dog collar match against Stevie Richards and Raven. 95? Not back in 95. I couldn't remember the year, but 95. Yeah, I, I knew it was in my high school time. It was between 94, 95, 90, around those, one of those years. Yeah, that was the best match in 95, bro. That match was crazy. I mean, it was, was, it was best, a good match. Yeah, it was three, uh, best two out of three falls. Uh Dude, oh yeah, I tore my tricep on Friday night the night before that match. Mm -hmm. I had a blown tricep. I tore it off. I got it fixed later, but I had it worked. I didn't know. I didn't know I was getting the belt Saturday night. I had no idea. You know, it was like, boom, here, here they are. You know, we went in the lot. We got to the show. You know, we we didn't have to be there that early, but 
say around seven, maybe or six thirty. So they were there. We we go check in around two-ish. This way they know we're there. Mm -hmm. And I I I had a house ten blocks away, so I would just go right back to my house and hang out and chill and hang out with the guys like Rick Rude and Stone Cold and Mongo McMichaels and a lot of the guys would always come to my house and hang out and party. And then we would go there to the show. People forget. Everyone thinks that Stone Cold went from WCW to WWE. Now he was in ECW for a couple of months. Yeah, he came. He got fired by WCW, and he called Paul Heyman up and Paul Heyman said, "Get your ass over here." And he came over, and I was. I, that's when I met him first time. Mm -hmm. you know, he was the one of the Hollywood Blondes. He tore his tricep just like I did. Like you know, he, he got it fixed. Uh, but Bischoff, Eric Bischoff called when he tore his tricep in Japan. Uh, Steve did. Eric Bischoff called him up on the phone and said, yo, man, you're fired. Fired him on the phone. Like, didn't even, like, say, come in and like, at least do it in face-to-face. -face. I mean, he was a, a big, he was a big, I mean, he wasn't, he was up there in the tag teams. Him and Brian Pillman were up there. They were the Hollywood Blondes. I mean, shit. Mm -hmm. But when he came to us, he was, like, pissed off, man, big time. So Paul was like, man, do whatever you want to do. You know, and I remember he was at our, he was at my place that night. I remember hanging out. He's like, Paul wants me to cut this fucking crazy promo tonight. He said, I can go off and say whatever I want to say. And I'm going to, I'm going to kill Bischoff. Fuck it. I'm going to kill him. And I was just like, I would. I said, yeah. when I, I said, when I was in North Carolina, Ric Flair always told me and Anthony, tell, when you cut promos, tell the truth, cut up, you know? That's why Flair was so good at what he did because he would tell you what he did the night before. It's true. <laughs> so if you tell the truth and work it in your promo that he's telling you to say, it, it becomes a good one. Yeah, the perfect balance of personal and business, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to tell people, especially if I'm a heel, I want to rub it in their face what I did that night. You know, when you were home with your old lady sitting on the couch with her, miserable. You know, you can't take it anymore. I was in bed with three chicks having a blast. Actually, I don't know, man. Your chick may have snuck out the door that night. I don't know, man. You know, just to piss people off. You know? But it's just easy. I mean, he was just, he would just break it down to us and make it easier, you know. That's how he was. And we would run into him at clubs in Charlotte and Rick would always like to stay up all night and drink man, at a party. And we would always say, like, I'd always tell him, look, man, I need at least six hours. Man. I got to drive. I got to work Saturday. You know, next, I got to I work every night. So, I mean, Saturday night was great because we knew we didn't have to work Sunday. So if we were always hoping to be close. So maybe a 45-minute ride or we would never drive more than 250 miles. Mm -hmm. and, you know, going in a loop, you know, so we would hit North Carolina, South Carolina, and it was that loop every week. And hopefully, like I said, on a Saturday night, we would get back early, you know, be back in town by 11, we'd be at the bar by like 12. And that's when all the NWA guys would be walking in the door. You know, that's how we met the Midnight Express. You know what I mean? We met them guys out. And Lex Luger, all them guys. And they were cool. They were all right with us. You know, they knew what we were doing. We were down here working because they Rick, Rick, Rick Steamboat would always tell them we're at Ricky Steamboat's gym every single day. Now, these are the people that train at Ricky Steamboat's gym. Rick Flair, Lee Haney at the time, and Evander Holyfield, the professional heavyweight champion at the time, was training at his gym. Okay, it was an awesome gym. He didn't charge anybody. If you're a pro athlete, especially a pro wrestler, you don't pay nothing to go to his gym. And we would always see Ric Flair in there sometimes, and he'd be on the like the step thing. I mean, soaking wet. I mean, he would do that for an hour on the top level, like no problem. Like there'd be a puddle of water around the machine. And I'm just looking at this guy, and he was always big. He just didn't, he just stopped lifting weights and just started doing tons of cardio. And that's why he was able to work an hour every night if he wanted to. He can go an hour anytime he wants. Anytime, bro. 
Yeah. So every day we trained except Sunday. You know, we would go to the gym early and then we would have to, uh, we got lucky, we turned heel. They put us in the stud stable with Robert Fuller and Matt Bourne, maniac Matt Bourne. Uh, the Nasty Boys eventually came down. Vince Torelli came down, which was Ken Shamrock. Chris Chavis was there, who was Katanka. Uh, John Studd would always pop in. The Fantastics would pop in. The Malenko brothers would pop in. So they were coming from Japan, them guys. You know, and they would just be a test for us. The Joe would come down and watch. So next thing you know, you know, those days went from six days a week to five days, four days, three days. Okay, we can't live here no more. Two days, you know, and we back went back up to Philly, you know. And then if we had to come in for two days, we would take we would do the drive, do the two days, and then bolt back. But that's when Tokyo Joe showed up in Philadelphia with two contracts. We signed them. Go to New Japan Pro Wrestling. So that's what we did. That was our first big contract. Whose idea was it for the angle when uh, Shane Douglas DDT'd you on the uh, championship belt and you had to wear the the, uh, the metal cage because they say they said on ECW that you cracked your skull? Was no, that? I didn't, I didn't crack my skull. I uh, broke my neck. I broke C1. But th- that was legit. Yeah, man. Jesus, because it's just seeing you like, you know, still at ringside. There was that one so title. You, match the holes. you still see the holes right here. I'll press them in. I went in my skull to calm the pressure. And then I had two back here that went in my skull. I had to wear that thing for six weeks. All right. So my question is during the match with Shane Douglas and Pitbull 2 for the television title, when Shane Douglas grabbed that cage and I shook it. And everyone, that was like his like heel moment. Like, oh my God, you did it. I'm like, what's, wouldn't that be painful? Or were you already pretty much recovered and good enough to do that? Or I was already cleared to do that. Okay. What happened was I, I got it taken off a week prior. So I put it back on and I put it on me where it was hit, pads were hitting my head. So, but I still had a, I still had to sell it like it was still on me for real. So I don't care what you say. I mean, when Shane Douglas grabbed it and went one, two, three, four, and let it go, I mean, it was rough taking that bump in that thing, man, because if I took a regular flat bump, people would not have believed it. Like, they would have been like, something ain't right. You know what I mean? It's fucking bullshit. You know what I mean? So I didn't do a regular bump. What I do, I kept my left hand in my pocket, went down to one knee, like it would, like I would really do if that was connected to me. But you know, I can't, I can only move like that, bro. I can't move my head at all. So, yeah, you did a hell of a job. Yeah, I mean, you did a job. I mean, it, 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 put it this way, it was the biggest, craziest heat. That was called white heat. When people jump over the guardrail and attack a try to attack a wrestler. For doing something, when has that ever been done? Not not often, and not in other major companies, bro. But that's how pissed off people were in Philadelphia about what he did. I mean, when Rick Rude brought me back in, you could see the roof of that building actually come off and then it come back down. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that that night, but. That's when Shane Douglas was in the ring with Francine and Ravishing Rick Rude came in and uh, made a comment about who's who's in the back that can kick his ass. And he's like, well, I beat this person. I beat that person. I got rid of him. I beat Pitbull too the night before. Who could be back there? So they hit my fucking music and he shit a brick. You know, I came in, bumped his ass like crazy, took off. Uh Paul wanted to go his way with it. I wanted to go in the pay-per-view with it because I was wrestling Shane all over the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought we were going to go and do the uh, match in the pay-per-view, and it's not what they wanted. So I think what they wanted, I was already ready to go. I mean, I took out. The doctor told me six months. I took eight months to recover. Mm-hmm. So I made sure I was ready to come back. I didn't come back too soon. 
because everyone talks about you know the Dudley's Boys promotion at Heatwave '98 when it almost sparked a riot. That that was the ultimate heel, like white hot heel moment. And every time someone says that, I'm like, no, it's not. It's when Shane Douglas grabbed Pitbull ones at Halo and start messing with it. That has to be it. I mean, yeah. Wards is a who, but you know, messing with someone who's like you know injured and handicapped at the time. You won't even see it. Like, go on the network. You might not even be able to find it. Vince don't want that to be seen because I I did break my neck. Mm-hmm. You know, legit. And especially with head injuries now and neck injuries now, you don't want that on his uh, t- TV because well, he's afraid of a lawsuit. Maybe who knows? But it's always up on Facebook somewhere. Somebody finds it and puts it out there. You know, they, they tape it off the TV or they find it on a videotape or whatever. But that's the biggest white heat angle. I don't care what anybody says. Nobody cares. I mean, I went up to Paul Heyman and Todd Gordon and said, straight up, man, I want to do this. And they're like, hell no. You broke your fucking neck. We're not doing it. Like, this is great. I said, it's real. You know what I'm saying? I said, let Anthony run. Give him a run by himself like I had. Let him win the fucking TV belt, which was great. So we both had the te- television titles, which just makes our tag team more legit. Mm-hmm. You know, not counting. You know, everybody wants to talk about, oh, the Pitbulls had the belt two or three times in, in extreme. Yeah, big deal. What about Eastern? What about Tri-State Wrestling Alliance? We had the fucking belts back then. Okay? So... All those other tag teams that people want to put over more than us, they weren't a shit. They were little fucking Hershey Kisses in their diapers, man, when we were working for Tri-State Wrestling Alliance. Okay? Yeah, I mean, people should realize that this, the Shane Douglas incident happened in 95. You know, if Vince puts it on TV now, it has, it's not like today when the head injuries are a major issue. It happened in 95. But people still cry about it. I hear you. I don't blame Vince taking well, it off. It's, 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 it's true. I mean, Chris Benoit's brain, they told him, well, they told his family, he had a brain of an 85-year-old man. Okay, that's from your brain hitting your skull. That's from taking bumps. You understand? So imagine football players, what they go through. So, but we, don't, we have no help. So it's even worse. But regardless, it's your brain floating in water and it's hitting the walls of your skull. And that's how you get brain damage. And doing what we do for a living, you know, we're pretty much right there, you know, in that group. You're on mute. Shit, 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 shit. Okay. Try and keep the princess, you know, noise down. Uh, and what made you decide to retire in 2007? I never really retired. I just had, I just took some time off at the time. Uh, my partner had to get some stuff straightened out in his life, so he ended up moving to Connecticut and... We just took some time off, you know what I mean? And then uh, we were getting ready to come back. Uh, Animal Joe from the Road Warriors hit me up on the phone and said, uh, we're going to do the Road Warriors and the Pitbulls. So in Connecticut, we want you to do it with us. Is that cool? And I'm like, fuck yeah, man. Let's go. Let's go. You know, so I called Anthony. I said, yo, how you doing? How you feeling? How you looking? And he came down and showed me, you know, he was in shape, 235, shredded wheat, man, he looked good. So I was like, all right, cool. So we got something set up. I said, uh, so we got a couple of months, but it's big, you know, it's against the road warriors. Can't get no bigger than that. And, uh, you know, it was for them too. You know, they wanted to go back and get paid big time money, you know, and I understand that. So, see, that's another thing people don't understand. They always compare us to the road warriors. Because we used to wear the leather and the spikes and the chains. And that's a compliment. I take that as a compliment. I don't take it any other way, you know. But working them guys was always a pleasure. And uh, 
it just so happened, you know, within two weeks, my partner passed away, and then and uh, Mike Hawk passed away two weeks later. Tell me how freaked up, freaking fucked up that is. Yeah. And that's what happened. And uh, so I've been wrestling singles ever since. And, you know, doing what I got to do as people want. So with our last couple of minutes left in this episode, what big events do you have coming up that you like to share? I go plugs. Uh, right now I'm just chilling. I'm doing a lot of podcasts. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I have no problem doing that. Uh, it's right after the holiday season, so usually January, February. I mean, February, March is when shit usually kicks in for, for me anyway. So, I mean, I'm not, I don't try to be work too much. If I can work two or three weekends a month, I'm happy with that. I don't need to do any more than that. And where can people find you on social media? You hit me up on Facebook. It's uh, Gary Wolf. Or you can go on the Legend ECW, a Mad Dog of War, the Pitbulls. Check me out on that site. Well, I appreciate your time today, sir. I also, also, if anybody wants to hit me up on my Gmail, it's pitbull67 at gw at gw at gmail.com. <laughs> Well, once again, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. You've been pretty much a staple in my high school life, you know, watching you wrestle after school. And to me, you're a legend. You're a Hall of Famer through and through. And I appreciate your time. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on, Vic. Absolutely. And I thank you for putting up with the... Uh, yeah, no, tell, tell, the, uh, tell your staff I said bye-bye and uh, I hope they, uh, they do well. <laughs> I definitely will. Thank you very much for your time. Take care of yourself. And I'll talk to you down the road. You got it, brother. Peace. Take care. Bye.